Hi everyone and welcome to Tomorrow Never Knows, a Beatles podcast. Uh, my name's Greg, I'll be your host today. Um, hopefully in the next couple of episodes I'll be joined by other Beatles fans who will share their experiences with us all. I'm a second generation Beatles fan and I first got into them through the Beatles cartoons. I used to watch them on, I don't know, Saturday mornings or whenever they were on and I used to love them. I used to, um, the songs were fantastic, I used to love those little stories, um, the, the beginning, Hard Day's Night and Help, those songs were fantastic and for a long time I actually thought the Beatles were cartoon characters, I thought that, you know, they were no different from Bugs Bunny and whoever else and uh, I, I remember I just used to when Ringo used to unplug his drums in the cartoon and he used to deflate, I just used to piss myself laughing. So it wasn't till later on in life that I found out that the Beatles were actually real people. And, um, like, when I grew up, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, um, in the 70s, got into British glam rock, and then um, after that finished, got into Kiss for a while, and... Um, one day I was in a record store and I'm just looking around and I saw this compilation, Beatles compilation, Oldies but Goldies. And I looked on the back and I saw all those old tunes that I used to love. Like, you know, She Loves You, Hard Day's Night, all those. And um, to me it was like, I don't know if you remember, but they used to they used to put out these cartoon theme song compilations. To me it was just like that. It was like all these things reminded me of a cartoon, reminded me of my childhood. And I took it home. I bought it, took it home, and I was really excited. I was in a real, like, nostalgic stage, even though I was only, like, um, 13 or so. And um, then I put it on, I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking, you know, and I, I, as I said, I'd listened to a lot of 70s glam rock and Kiss and all that sort of stuff. And I put it on and just it just struck me how sophisticated these songs were you know even their early songs it was just so sophisticated and the harmonies and the vocals and um you know of course the production wasn't great because it was so old but I was just sort of awestruck by the songwriting especially I was you know that these songs were just so complicated but yet sounded so simple and, and was so huge and I was and I played that for a while and then one day um, I was at a friend's place and we were smoking a few joints and I came home and I turned on the radio, as you did back in those days, and I, I heard this song with these... This song just came out and it had these exotic sounds and I'm thinking, wow, what's this? And um, it sounded like the Beatles and I'm thinking, well... It sounds like the Beatles, but it couldn't be the Beatles because the Beatles to me were all the early stuff that I just mentioned and then um, Let It Be and Hey Jude and all that stuff. But I'd, I'd never realised that there was a mid-period Beatles going on. And I'm thinking, what is this song? And then right at the end, the DJ said, oh, that was the Beatles with a song called Norwegian Wood. And that was the best song I'd ever heard. And I thought, man, I've got to get this. I've got to get it. So the next day I went down to uh, to the record store and asked for Norwegian Wood. And he said it's on an album called Rubber Soul. So, um, but they were sold out of Rubber Soul. And there was a compilation album, Australian-only compilation album called The Essential Beatles, which had it on there. So I, I took it home. 
And I'm thinking, man, you know, I wonder if they've got other songs like this, you know. I wonder if um, if they've got all these other, like, freaky, weird songs for, you know, a young guy who who just started smoking pot and wanted to hear. So I went back to the record store and um, I ordered Rubber Soul and a couple of weeks later I got it and then uh, that just blew my mind. That just absolutely blew me away. So being from Australia, we, um, we got the British versions of the records. And um, I must say, Side One is an absolute killer. Um, from like first song, opening song, Drive My Car, which was a groovy little tune. Then it had Norwegian Wood, of course, You Won't See Me, which I loved, which McCartney played when I went and saw him a couple of years ago. Nowhere Man, um, I must have played a thousand times, one of my all-time favourite Beatles songs. Think For Yourself, Georgia song, great song. The Word, which I think is very, very underrated. And then you've got Michelle. So, I mean, all that is just on side one of the album. As I said, you know, coming from um, British glam rock, which wasn't very album-orientated, it was singles-orientated, you'd buy an album and it'd have the singles on it and the rest of the songs were just fillers. But there was it was like there was no fillers, especially on side one. And you've got side two, What Goes On, yeah, I didn't like that that much. Girl, Loved Girl. Um, looking through you, great song. In my life, yeah, not bad. Wait, not bad. If I needed someone, that was um, that's a fantastic song. Love that song. I love the George songs on here. And Run for Your Life, which sort of harks back to the earlier eras of the Beatles, but um, still pretty damn good. So by then, I'm right into the Beatles, you know, everything is Beatles. I went out, I bought Beatles books and um, I wanted to know a little bit about the backgrounds of the songs and, of course, Norwegian Wood was about an affair John had, but um, he disguised it so Cynthia, his wife, wouldn't find out. Um, And Nowhere Man um, came to John fully formed one night when he was in his home at in Surrey and um, it reflects his existential concerns raised by experiences with LSD, which, uh, you know, which I found pretty freaky. Like, um, you know, I was just imagining being on a trip, being on an LSD trip and you feel like you're you're absolutely nowhere, you don't exist, which, um, you know, I have to say I didn't read into the song when I was listening to it, but now when you think about it, it gives the song even more depth than what it had. So back in the day, we used to have these uh, pot-smoking parties and um, everyone would bring a record that they'd want to play and, you know, some people would bring things like Queen, other people would bring stuff like Black Sabbath, you know, um, others would bring, you know, the Human League and... I'm walking around with Rubber Soul and people are saying, well, what are you doing carrying around the Beatles? That's so old. But then you'd put it on and everyone would be stoned and people would just be mesmerised by some of the songs. I remember um, people just saying, oh, you know, play that again, play that again, play that again. And uh, so I I got a lot of my friends into the Beatles. Um, 
which was great because, you know, back in those days we didn't have that much money so different people were buying different albums and we'd go over and we'd have all, uh, would have listening parties, um, discussing all the albums, which album's better, what songs are better, uh, what songs shouldn't be on the album, what songs should be on the album. That's concerning singles that didn't make it onto the album. And the Beatles came up with uh, the name Rubber Soul. It was uh, I'm Down, the song I'm Down. Right at the end of I'm Down, Paul calls out Plastic Soul Man, Plastic Soul, and that's how they came up with Rubber Soul. And the, the artwork as well, like the cover, the cover sort of freaked me out because that was a little bit distorted. Um, and w- w- the story behind that was they were doing photo sessions with Robert Freeman and what he would do is he'd get like a um, cardboard cutout the size of an album and he'd put slides on and put it on that cardboard cutout and the Beatles would decide which picture they all thought they looked good in and then the, the card slid a bit and it looked a bit distorted and they all just went, yeah, that's it, can we do that, can we do that? And that's how they came with, up with the cover. Paul McCartney said at the time, um, we started to record the album, things were changing, the direction was moving away from the poppy stuff like Thank You Girl, From Me To You and She Loves You. The early material was directly relating to our fans saying, please buy this record. But now we'd come to a point where we thought, we've done that, now we can branch out into songs that are more surreal, a little more entertaining. And other people were starting to arrive on the scene who were influential. Dylan was quite an influence on us. John said about the song The Word, it sort of dawned on me that love was the answer when I was younger. On the Rubber Soul album, my first expression of it was a song called The Word. The Word is Love. In the good and the bad books that I have read, whatever, whatever, the word is love. It seems like the underlying theme of the universe. Everything that was worthwhile got down to this love, love, love thing. And it's the struggle to love, to be love and express love. And that's fantastic. So that kind of thing just uh, goes to show you that they weren't thinking, you know, in the the way the average 23, 24-year-old were thinking. Um, and this was actually the first time they'd had some time in the studio to themselves they had a break from touring and um, they had a little bit of time to experiment. They also, um, John says, it's when they took over the studio. They were confident enough to take over the studio instead of George Martin saying that's a take. They were saying that's a take. Instead of George Martin saying, why don't we change this bit here? They were saying, why don't we change this bit here? And so it's um, it was also a massive influence on Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Like uh, I remember seeing some documentary, and he was talking about it, and he said um, he said the first time he heard it, it was it just blew him away. It was like the first complete album that he'd heard. He'd never um, he'd never looked at a at an album as a piece of art in itself. And that changed his whole way of thinking, you know. And, of course, after that, he that influenced him to um, make Pet Sounds. And then later on, Pet Sounds influenced Paul McCartney to come up with Sgt Pepper. But, you know, that's another story altogether. You're listening to Tomorrow Never Knows, a Beatles podcast. Email us at beetlemailbox at gmail.com 
or join us on Facebook under Tomorrow Never Knows, a Beatles podcast. So the single from the Rubber Soul Sessions was um, their first double A-side, actually. It was uh, Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out. Um, a bit more of a We Can Work It Out fan. That that was the song, actually, that McCartney played when I saw him. I was stoked when he did that. And um, my friends and I have had conversations about this in the past. If it would have been, inc- if that single would have been included on the album, what song would have gone where? And I, I think the general consensus was um, the album probably would have started with Day Tripper and ended with We Can Work It Out. I really like We Can Work It Out because um, it shows the difference in the songwriting there. It's like, you know, Paul has got the um, Try to See It My Way bit and John's got the life, it's very short bit. And it shows a bit of a difference. A lot of people say you can't really tell the difference in the songwriting until Revolver. But um, I think you can with Rubber Soul. You know, you've got songs like um, The Word and Girl and um, Nowhere Man, which really shows John's style. And then you have um, Michelle and I'm Looking Through You, which really shows Paul's. There was also an unreleased track called 12 Bar Original, um, which is available on Anthology now, but back in the day um, I'd I'd read it in a book and I just had to get it. And um, so I went bootleg hunting, which I spent a lot of time doing, and which I loved until I finally found it. And um, I was a bit disappointed because it was just instrumental. But in another book it had... um, it was saying that there was a song called Rubber Soul that was unreleased. So, um, of course, I went looking for that and some bootlegs had it. Uh, it hunted down, oh, it took me about two years to hunt down a bootleg that had the song Rubber Soul. And then when I finally got it, it was 12-bar original. And I was really pissed off, let me tell you. So I just want to run through the um, Rubber Soul Capital release. I want to run through that version. I've never had a copy of that. I've got a few of the Capital albums, but I've never had Rubber Soul. Okay, so uh, starts off. First song is "I've Just Seen a Face," which um, I have to say is not one of my favourite songs. It's to me, it sounded like Simon and Garfunkel or something. Number two, Norwegian Wood. Number three, You Won't See Me. Number four, Think for Yourself. Number five, The Word. Number six, Michelle. Number seven, It's Only Love. Hmm. Number eight, Girl. Number nine, I'm Looking Through You. Number ten, In My Life. Number eleven, Wait. And number twelve, Run For Your Life. So that's that's only got twelve tracks on it, whereas the uh, British version had fourteen tracks on it. And I'm not sure I would have liked it anywhere near as much with that... um, with that track listing. It's missing Drive My Car, it's missing If I Needed Someone and uh, I remember reading an interview with John Lennon where he was saying that kind of stuff drove him crazy. Like they would work hard on on the songs, they would work hard on the placement of the songs, um, they would mix them, the Beatles would do the mono mixes and they would just 
really think about the order of the songs. They really wanted to make it, especially with Rubber Soul, they really wanted to make it like it was some kind of artwork. And then when it came out in the US with, um, you know, missing two songs all mixed up, they were sort of, Lennon in particular was like really pissed off about it. And apparently the thinking um, with Capitol Records was at the time the trend was um, acoustic albums. Acoustic albums were the ones that were charting and that's what they tried to do. So, you know, they removed a couple of the rockier songs and put um, a couple of acoustic tracks on there. And I should mention, um, during their 1964 tour, that's when uh, they met Bob Dylan and um, everyone knows about that famous pot session they had with Bob Dylan where he came up to the hotel room, rolled a few joints, um, gave one to John. John passed it to Ringo and said, this is my uh, royal tester. And then they smoked it and all got stoned for the very first time and then became potheads after that. Um, Paul's got a story where he, he wrote something down and he thought he, he'd found the secret of the universe and he gave it to Mal to hold on to and then the next morning he said to Mal, where's that piece of paper? And um, Mal gave it to him and he read it out and it said, there are seven levels. So what did the others have to say about Rubber Soul? Um, well, George Martin said, In the early days they were very influenced by American rhythm and blues and then, as time went on, other influences became apparent. Classical influences and modern music. That was from 1965 and beyond. I wonder what other influences he was talking about. He did mention, I, I remember seeing an interview with him once and he was talking about, they were asking him about the Beatles' drug use and he was saying he knew they smoked pot but they kept it away from him and they'd disappear for a break and they'd all come in giggling. When George was asked about um, Norwegian wood, he said, I went and bought a sitar from a little shop at the top of Ox Oxford Street called India Craft. It was a real crummy quality one, actually, but I bought it and mucked about with it a bit. Anyway, we're at the point where we'd recorded Norwegian wood backing track and it needed something. I picked the sitar up. It was just lying around. I hadn't really figured out what to do with it. It was quite spontaneous. I found the notes, then played the lick. It fitted and it worked. That was pretty good. It was pretty lucky, wasn't it? Ringo said we were all open to anything. You could walk in with an elephant as long as it was going to make a musical note. Anything was viable. Our whole attitude was changing. We'd grown up a little bit, I think. When John was asked about In My Life, he said, I think it's my first real major piece of work. Up until then, it had all been glib and throwaway. It was the first song that I wrote that was really consciously about my life. It started out on a bus journey from my house on 251 Menelove Avenue, which I'd been to, um, I had a complete set of lyrics naming every site. It became, in my life, a remembrance of friends and lovers of the past. Um, I also remember him saying in an interview that that's what in my life was going to be. It was just going to be about places that he remembered and um, then he got stuck halfway through it and he just thought, oh, screw this and... Um, 
turned it into a love song, which he was quite disappointed about in the end. I'd like to um, get back to the Beatles cartoons for a minute. Um, there's a book called Beatle Tunes, the real story behind the cartoon Beatles by Mitchell Axelrod, which is absolutely fantastic. I don't know if it's still available, but um, if you're into the Beatles cartoons, that is your Bible right there. Try and get it. I um, actually spoke to him once and he was telling me about the years and years of research that went into it. He found out some incredible stuff when you read it. Um, I also asked him about the Beatles cartoons. I asked him who owned the rights because, you know, um, there was always a dispute over who owned the rights and it never officially came out. And he was telling me that Apple have bought the rights. So maybe one day they will come out. Um, But Rubber Soul is represented in the Beatles cartoons quite a bit and I'll um, go through a couple of those episodes real quick. Okay, so the first episode from Rubber Soul is called I'm Looking Through You. Uh, Of course, it features the song. Um, The Beatles are in Egypt looking for a place to rehearse for their next show. I don't know why they're in Egypt looking for a place to rehearse for the next show. But anyway, they enter a pyramid and Ringo gets confronted by a ghost who must exchange bodies with a human so he can walk amongst the people again. As a result, Ringo's soul becomes visible. Hmm. Next is We Can Work It Out. Uh, the Beatles are in Hollywood where George's talk of superstitions leads them to a lucky wizard who shrinks the group in order to steal their money. There's an episode called Run For Your Life. Uh, The Beatles are in Paris, in the Palace of Versailles, where Ringo gets knocked unconscious by a statue and dreams about the days of Marie Antoinette and Louis IV. The group tries to bring Ringo out of it with music. So as you can see, a lot of these were just, you know, for a kid at the time, were just really good fun, good fun little stories with, with great music. Drive My Car, the Beatles are in America at a car race where they agree to help a beat-up old jalopy that has entered in the race. And there's a production note here. It says, in one scene, part of John's guitar neck and left arm are missing. Oh, there's an episode on the word. The Beatles are invited to Egypt, Egypt again, they liked Egypt, by a sheik who has asked them to entertain his harem of beautiful girls. The girls unmask themselves, which is forbidden. Hmm, controversial. Anyone who gazes upon the unmasked girls must be thrown to the crocodiles. The group sees them, and the only way to escape punishment is by using the secret password, which is... Love. Nowhere man. The Beatles run into a hermit that wants to be left alone. He tries to keep the group away from his cave as the Beatles sing. That would annoying and the last cartoon to uh, feature anything from rubber soul is wait the beatles help the prince of Krapotikin find his princess and stop her arranged marriage to the wicked prime minister and there's some production notes here note the length of john's sideburns and the different animation of ringo while in the car next to the other beatles um 
I would love to do a full episode on the Beatles cartoons. Um, I'd maybe even try and get hold of Mitchell Axelrod, the expert, one day. The Beatles really did like Rubber Soul. Uh, I think they considered it their first real album and they said a lot about it. They said quite a few things about it. I'll give you a few more quotes. Ringo said there was a lot of experimentation on Rubber Soul, influenced, I think, by substances. George Martin knew about it and used to get annoyed. Well, not really annoyed. He would just go, oh, God, because he knew things were going to take longer. John said Rubber Soul was the pot album and Revolver was the acid album. George said songwriting for me at the time of Rubber Soul was a bit frightening because John and Paul had been writing since they were three years old. It was hard to come in suddenly and write songs. They had a lot of practice. They'd written most of their bad songs before we'd even gotten into the recording studio. I had to come from nowhere and start writing and have something with at least enough quality to put on the record alongside all those wondrous hits. It was very hard. I mean, you have to feel sorry for George a bit, don't you? He's um, He's got to write songs that uh, well, not equal to Lennon and McCartney, but good enough to be on the same record. Can you imagine being put in that situation, how much pressure you would have? Um, I, I can't think of anyone around today that could write songs that were good enough to be put on a Beatles record. Ringo said, when, when we did take too many substances, the music was shit, absolute shit. At the time, we'd think it was great, but when we came to the record studio the next day, we'd all look at each other and say, well, we have to do that again. It didn't work for the Beatles to be too deranged when making music. There's very little material where we were out to lunch. It was good to take it the day before. And you have the creative memory, but you couldn't function under too much influence. He also said grass was really influential influential in a lot of our changes, especially with the writers. And because they were writing different material, we were playing differently. We were expanding in all areas of our lives, opening up to a lot of different attitudes. I feel we made it on love. Now we get to Rubber Soul and we're beginning to stretch the writing, the playing a lot more. There was a, this was a departure record. A lot of other influences were coming down and going on around the record. Okay, here's a long quote from Paul, so just bear with me. Uh, he says, John and I were writing quite well by 1965. For a while, we didn't really have enough homemade material, but we did start to around the time of Rubber Soul. Most of the time we wrote together, we'd go and lock ourselves away and say, okay, what have you got? John might have half an idea, something like, for in my life, there are places I remember. I think he had that as a first lyric, like a poem, places I remember. And we'd work out the extra melody needed and the main theme. And by the end of three or four hours, we nearly always had it cracked. I can remember coming away from one of those sessions and not having finished a song. One of the stickiest was Drive My Car because we couldn't get past one phrase that we had, you can buy me a golden ring. We struggled for hours. I think we struggled too long. Then we had a break and suddenly it came, wait a minute, drive my car. Then we got into the fun of the scenario, oh, you can drive my car. 
what is it? What's he doing? Is he offering a job, a chauffeur, or what? And then it became more ambiguous, which we liked, instead of golden rings, which was a bit poofy. Golden rings became beep, beep, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So, golden rings, yeah, beep, beep, yeah. Oh, I don't know. We both came up with that. Suddenly we were in LA. Cars, chauffeurs, open-top Cadillacs, and it was a whole thing. So you could kind of um, hear the signs of Rubber Salt coming when you listen to Help, you know, um, songs like You Won't See Me, Another Girl, um, Hide Your Love Away. They they all probably could have been on Rubber Soul. Um, but Rubber Soul for me was, you know, it's not my favourite Beatles album. Uh, my favourite Beatles album for a long, long time was Revolver, but recently it's uh, the White Album. Um, but it's it's just... To me, it's just a magical, laid-back album where you just, you know, if you if you want to relax and listen to some very clever, good music with great harmonies, you just put it on and you just lay back. And I can't wait. You know how they're putting out all those box sets now, which have been fantastic. Um, the White Album one's the best, I think, so far. But I can't wait for the Rubber Soul one. I think that would be... That would be really, really, really good. You must be sick to death of my voice by now. I know I am. Um, join our Facebook page, Tomorrow Never Knows, a Beatles podcast, and ask any questions, post anything up. You'll get uh, the latest updates on any episodes. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Same thing, when a new episode comes out, you'll know. Um, there's a couple of podcasts I listen to. Um, one Beatles podcast I really like is called Things We Said Today. Those guys really know their shit. Um, listen to them, they're quite entertaining too. Um, there's a Kiss podcast I listen to called Kiss FAQ. Um, a Glitter Glam Rock podcast that me and my mate Marty have called the Glitter Glam Rock Podcast. That's on YouTube, Spotify, all those places. Um, and if you like Rugby League, there's a podcast called Balls Out, No Flops. And even if you don't like Rugby League, they're just really funny guys. It's, um, it's quite entertaining to listen to. Okay, so that's it from me for this week. Um, I don't know when the next podcast will be. Whenever I can, I'll try and get them out weekly or bi-weekly. And I'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.